Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not always obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? For Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. You guys can take a seat. Thank you. Well, welcome. Welcome to a, a new place and a, a new building. Um, I'm so thankful for the ways that God uh, provides for us. What an opportunity and blessing we have that God has given us. Over the last year and a half, we've realized how vital, no flash, flash photography, please don't forget. <laughs> we realized how vital it is uh, to have a place to gather together uh, with our spiritual family to worship God together. You know, I think um, over the last year and a half, uh, not, that, not that I didn't value it before, but even more so realizing just how absolutely critical it is uh, to my own spiritual life, to our collective lives together, to be able to gather together, to worship God, sing together. And what, what a wonderful thing, uh, what I love the most, I, I love meeting at the orchard and I love meeting outside, but what I loved maybe the most so far this morning is just the ability to hear everyone else singing and praising God, you know? Outside, it kind of, the, the wind kind of chases the sound away, but in, in here, you can really hear everyone singing. And, you know, it, it's like my, my dad used to say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm sure the angels love your singing, but it's, it's killing me, you know? You know, it's like, but to me, it is a beautiful sound, uh, whether you can sing well or whether you can't. So si sing it out. At any rate, I'm getting off, off script a little bit here. Uh, you know, we've always had a heart for Bonner since we moved here. Since Amanda and I moved here five years ago uh, to Bonner Springs, and since we decided to plant a church here, we've always had a heart for Bonner. And, and it's wonderful to be meeting right here in the heart of Bonner. And the question that I ask, especially when it feels like God is uh, doing something, when he's moving, you know, the pieces on his chessboard, if you will, question that I ask is, what, what, what exactly is God doing, and how does he want me, or how does he want us to join him in that thing? You know, I think it certainly isn't less than gathering together here with other believers in worship, but why here and why now? You see, all throughout Scripture, 
we can see a pattern of God gathering his people together and then sending his people out. He gathers and he sends. And he gathers and he sends. And he gathers and amasses the Israelites in Egypt, right? And then he sends them out to the promised land. He gathers them at Mount Sinai and then he sends them out to obey the law. When Jesus is on earth, he gathers disciples then he sends them out. He sends out the 12 and he sends out the 70. When Jesus leaves the earth, when he ascends to heaven, he says, hey, wait just a minute for the Holy Spirit, right? And what do the people do? They gather together in prayer until the Holy Spirit comes and then they go out into the city and they preach the gospel. And then what happens? Thousands come to know Jesus. And what do they do? They gather together churches, their homes, and together in the temple, and they hear the word preached. And then as persecution comes, God sends them out to spread the gospel and to make him known all over. See, as the gospel takes root in different places, those believers then begin to gather together in churches as well, and they send out people. And throughout scripture, God gathers his people and he sends them out on mission. That's what he does. He sends them out to fill the earth with the glory of God. Nothing displays God's glory more than the gospel of his son. And nothing spreads God's glory more than the spreading of the gospel, the spreading of the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. See, in both gathering and sending, God has given us, believers, his church, a responsibility. A responsibility for what we do with the gospel. When we hear the gospel, we have a responsibility to believe it. And so, as we do, God gathers us together in a family of believers, church, right? And the Greek word in in the New Testament for church is the word ekklesia. It means assembly, It means a group of people who are gathering together for a common purpose, right? And and our common purpose is what? To, To glorify God and to make Jesus known. And so, in that common purpose, we're not merely saved to be saved, and that's it. We also have a responsibility for what we do with the gospel once we believe it. We have a responsibility for what we do with it in making it known to other people. And so this morning, we're going to see these two responsibilities in our passage, believing the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. And the bottom line is this. This is is the, the main point that I want you to get from this sermon. If you're saved, you are sent. If you are saved, you are sent. Do you know that? So I want to unpack that a little bit. Then I want to give you a few points of encouragement in that endeavor, in that responsibility. See, we're in the middle of this section of Romans, Romans 9 through 11, where Paul is addressing what seems to be a failure of God's word, a failure of his promise to Israel. And that's what this whole uh, three chapters of Romans is about. It starts with the very first verse of chapter 9. Paul says, has God's word failed? Because so many Jews don't believe in Jesus, does that mean that God's word has failed? And he explains in chapter 9 that that it's 
always been that some of ethnic Israel has trusted in the promises of God and some have not. And while all Abraham's uh, descendants by blood, while all of uh, ethnic Israel are Abraham's descendants by blood, only those who share Abraham's faith in God's promises are true Israel. Romans 9, 6. And we learned that this has always been in accordance with God's sovereign choice. This is how he has operated throughout salvation history. In chapter 10, we learn that the reason so many Gentiles were being saved while Jews were not was because the Jews were trusting in their own efforts. They were trusting in their own ethnicity to make themselves righteous. Whereas the Gentiles, who were in themselves far more immoral, who were in themselves far, uh, we would say, far more distant from God in that sense, realizing their grave position when they hear the gospel, they put their faith in Christ to make them righteous instead of trusting in themselves. And the passage last week ended with this very last verse. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So our passage today builds directly on that statement. In the ESV, as we read earlier, it says, how then? It starts, how then? But I think that kind of muddies the connection a little bit. It might, uh, our passage today might better start with the words, therefore, how? The concern here is this. If everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, then we want people to call on the name of the Lord. But how does that happen? In what's becoming a typical style for Paul in this letter, we've seen it before, he uses a series of rhetorical questions in verses 14 to 15. Here's what he communicates. He says, calling depends on believing. You can't call on the Lord unless you believe that you need someone to save you, right? And you can't call on the Lord to save you unless you believe that he actually can save you. And believing depends on hearing. You can't believe those truths that, that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, that he did die on the cross for your sins, that he did raise, rise from the dead. You can't believe those truths unless you hear them. There's a hearing element. Hearing depends on preaching. You can't hear it unless someone speaks it, right? That's pretty plain, pretty simple. And preaching depends on sending. People who proclaim are sent by someone. They're sent by a, a church to do so. They're, there's a sending element. They're sent by God. And sending depends on the message. You're not truly sent, not in this way, not in the way that leads to believing, not in the way that leads to calling on the Lord, unless you're sent with the gospel. It, you must be sent with that message to be sent in the way that Paul is talking about here. So the thrust is this. We have a responsibility to send and be sent with the gospel. And we send in order that some may be saved. Clarification point of clarification here. We talk about preaching in this passage. 
uses the word preaching. And sometimes that can maybe trip us up. We think about preaching. We think about maybe what I'm doing right here. And that certainly is preaching. But that's not all that is encompassed in this particular word. The word here for preach, well, the word preach in the Bible, it it could come from a number of different words in the Greek. This one in particular is the word caruso. At the end of verse 14, the beginning of 15, that's the word there in in the Greek. And then there's another word, euangelizo, which is a verb and a noun, used as a verb and a noun at the end of verse 15. So at the end of verse 15, when it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, it's literally saying, how good How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news of the good news. It's like double emphasis. So my point is is this. Not everyone is called to preach like I am here. And the words that are used there don't necessarily uh, pinpoint solely this kind of preaching. It's much wider than that. When the church assembles, it's a unique thing that happens here. And the preaching that happens here is a unique task that we shouldn't take lightly. In fact, James 3.1 says, not everyone should do this. That people who fill this role, in fact, will be judged more strictly. And that's a weight that anyone who stands up here carries the weight that I carry. However, we are all called to preach the gospel in a general sense. And so when it uses the word preach here, it's talking about speaking the good news. It's talking about being a herald. That's, you could literally translate the word Caruso, herald. It's like you're coming into town and you're like, hear ye, hear ye. I've got some good news for you your little bell if you want. No. We are all called to preach the gospel in a general sense, whether in some form to some audience, whether it's a, a one person or a hundred people or, or whatever it is. We are called to make Jesus known. That's the point I'm trying to make. It doesn't matter who you are. If you are a believer, God's calling you to preach the good news, to proclaim the good news. We're all saved to be sent. Now, maybe you might object to this. Maybe you're like, yeah, Cody, I'm glad to be saved. I mean, I'm really glad to be saved, but I'm barely good at being saved let alone being sent. (laughs) I'm barely good at being saved, let alone telling someone else about Jesus. How in the world am I going to do that? I wouldn't know what to say. I would, I hardly know how to follow Jesus. And I tried maybe, maybe you'd say. I tried that before. And, and, you know, I told someone about Jesus and they didn't, they didn't call on the name of the Lord. So maybe my preaching thing is broken. I don't know. But think about Paul. 
Think about Paul and particularly what he's talking about here in this passage. Paul has no greater desire, he says, but to see his Jewish brethren saved. And yet the very thing he's talking about is the fact that many of them are not, most of them are not. Certainly we can't fault Paul's ability or his effort. I don't think anyone would say, well, Paul, you know, if you were just a little bit better at at preaching the gospel, if you just tried a little bit harder, maybe it would have worked. Verse 16 tells us, The Jews haven't obeyed the gospel despite their efforts to obey the law. You see, for for the unbelieving Jews, where is this chain being broken? What's the missing link here? What link isn't connecting? I think the answer that Paul will give actually helps us to frame our responsibility in preaching the gospel as well. Our responsibility in being sent what we are responsible for and what we aren't responsible for. You see, verse 17, it summarizes the whole chain up to this point, and it raises two questions. If faith comes from hearing, have they heard? In other words, is the problem a lack of communication? And if hearing must be hearing of the word of Christ, hearing of the gospel, then did they understand that that's what it was? In other words, is there a problem, is the problem a lack of clarity? Is there a problem, the lack of communication, and is there a problem in the lack of clarity? And Paul answers these questions in sequence. First, he makes it clear that they have heard. Verse 18, he quotes Psalm 19, where in Psalm 19, it describes that the the natural revelation of God in creation, that, that all through creation, you can see the glory of God. That everyone should know that God exists because look around you, right? And so it seems that Paul is saying, if if a general revelation of God ought to be known in creation, then the problem is not that God hasn't communicated well enough who he is. It's not that God has not communicated well enough the gospel. One might ask, at this point, has the gospel really gone out to the whole world, right? I mean, what does it say there? It says, their voice has gone out to, the whole, to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And I think the phrase translated all the earth, it typically, typically it gives reference to the known world around. So it seems that Paul intends here to say, no, the gospel has gone out to the entire, this entire area, all of the, the known world, all around the Mediterranean. It, it also seems likely that Paul doesn't mean every individual Jew has heard the gospel and, and not a single one hasn't had someone say it to them, but, but he's speaking of the Jews in a corporate sense. So, because we know also that not every Jew has rejected the gospel. So he can't be meaning that, well, every Jew has heard it and has rejected it because we know that they haven't. In fact, Paul himself later will show himself to be an example that some Jews have, for he's a Jew. It makes more sense then that Paul's general thrust here is that Enough Jews have heard, and a high enough percentage has rejected to determine that the problem in the connection is not a lack of preaching. It's not a lack of hearing. It's not a lack of communication. That's not where the problem lies. But maybe they've heard, but they didn't understand. 
Paul uses two quotes to make his point here. Verse 19 comes from Deuteronomy where where God says that since Israel has made him jealous and angry by worshiping idols, he will make them jealous and angry by making Gentiles his people. God's plan should have been clear to them since Moses. It was right there in Deuteronomy. God's given them opportunity and they've rejected him for idols. That's what they did back in Moses' day, and that's what they're doing again in Paul's. They have the gospel right there, and they're rejecting it for idols, including their own self-righteousness. Verse 20 reiterates the same point. The same gospel is being preached to both Jews and Gentiles, and the Gentiles, who don't have all of the advantages that the Jews had that Paul detailed in in, uh, Romans 9, 1 through 5, right? All these advantages, and yet these ignorant and immoral Gentiles have believed, so the Jews, they can't use that as an excuse. Paul caps it by quoting from that same section in Isaiah, that the issue isn't a lack of hearing, the issue isn't a lack of understanding, that God has held out his hands. He's continued to hold it out to them over and over and over again, and yet they are a contrary and disobedient people. Over the centuries, they've proved themselves to be people who rejects, contradicts God's continual offer of salvation. So the issue wasn't in the sending. The issue was in the surrendering. We get confused at times in our specific responsibility in this, right? Our responsibility is not someone else's response to the gospel. I want you to understand that. Your responsibility is not someone else's response to the gospel. Your responsibility is your response to the gospel. We're to believe the gospel. We are to proclaim the gospel. The bad news was that the Jewish people were not believing. That Paul says, was squarely on their shoulders. Their fault. The good news is, though, that a whole lot of other people who are super far from God, who are incredibly sinful, who had no idea anything about who God was, were hearing the gospel we're believing the gospel, we're receiving the Holy Spirit, and we're being transformed by God's work. Understand that as Paul is writing to the Roman church, you have a church full of Gentiles who just a few years before had no grasp, had very little idea who God was or how they should live. And yet, they were being radically transformed by the gospel as it was being preached to them. And so, it's a reminder that at times, people we think ought to get it will choose not to believe. And yet, the good news is, even the most surprising person, God can change their heart and their life like that. 
He does it through the preaching of his word. And here's the funny thing. He's chosen in his sovereignty that you would be the means for him to do that. Can you believe that? How incredibly strange and amazing that is. And so you're saved to be sent, church. Yes, God's plan for you right now is that wherever you go, that you are making Jesus known. That wherever you go today and tomorrow, whatever you, wherever you work in your neighborhood, in your home, in your workplace, wherever it is, that you would be making Jesus known there. Jesus said to his disciples, go, make disciples, baptize, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Amazingly, what this passage indicates is that even though some will reject the good news and decide not to believe, many, many, many more will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Not because we're so confident in ourselves, but because we're confident that in God's sovereignty, he will do it. So what else can we glean from this passage as we're sent? Well, I, I've got a few quick points of encouragement for the sin. So encouragement for you. First encouragement, the gospel must be communicated in words. How we live our lives, it matters. I don't want you to misunderstand this. How we live our lives as Christians, it does matter. It matters in our obedience to him. It matters in our uh, representing the gospel to others. In the way we live. And Jesus says that our love for one another will point people to him. Paul talks about um, to be wise in the way that we act towards outsiders, right? How we live gives us a platform for proclaiming the gospel, but the gospel is a message. It's something that is undeniably and always spoken or communicated in some way in words throughout the New Testament. And that's clear from our text today. Sent people speak. So we must communicate the gospel in words. Second encouragement is this. The beauty is not in how well you speak. Think about this verse. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It does not say how beautiful are the words of those who preach the good news. Do you ever think about that? I mean, it's talking about those who preach the good news. It would seem more natural that it would say how beautiful are the words of those who preach the good news, but it doesn't. It says how beautiful are the feet. Now, I don't know about your feet. My wife can tell you that mine are not that beautiful. Beauty. <laughs> Josie, I don't need your commentary on my feet. Thank you. <laughs> the beauty comes from three links in the chain of verses 14 and 15. Sending, right? The feet. Sending. Preaching. Those who, those who will preach. Good news. The content. The content of what is preached. The gospel is so important. It's so impactful to us. We want to share it eloquently. We want to share it intelligently. And that's not a bad thing until it keeps us from sharing it at all. As it turns out, the gospel is more beautiful than any word that you will ever utter. That the gospel itself is more beautiful than the way that you say it. It will always be more beautiful than the way that you say it. 
So stop being so concerned about how you say it. What the Bible finds beautiful, what God finds beautiful, is your obedience in sharing it. That's what God finds beautiful. So seek to know more. Seek to improve how you make Jesus known, sure. But I want you to understand that while a flamethrower can set a lot of things on fire, even a little spark of the gospel can start a forest fire of salvation in a family, in a neighborhood, in a community, in a workplace. Even a little spark. Another encouragement. Let it not be because they haven't heard. Let it not be because they haven't heard. Whoever that is, that the Holy Spirit is right now putting on your heart. Whoever that is, that when you think about the fact that you are saved to be sent, you think about that person, let it not be because they have not heard. And maybe you think, oh, no, they know about Jesus. They know. Are you sure that they understand what the gospel is? It ought to weigh on us that someone may not have heard the gospel. We take it for granted that people understand it. We take it for granted that people understand that the gospel is how God loves and saves sinners through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. We take it for granted that they get that. But when you talk to most people, what they'll tell you is some version of, yeah, Jesus saved me, but then I need to do these things in order to be good enough uh, to be saved, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and I'll never do that, and so there's no point. And people need to hear the gospel. People need to hear the gospel. We might be surprised how many people don't understand. Not to mention the people around the world who've never heard the gospel at all. And maybe it's you that God is calling to take it to them. Verse 18 says, their voice has gone out to all the earth. I pray that God would give us a burning desire that all, everywhere, would hear about Jesus. Another encouragement for you, it's simply one word, pray. Pray, pray. Pray, pray. There are things that we need to know. People need to hear the gospel. And the gospel has a conduit to it. And there's things that people need to know in order to believe. But many times people do not respond by calling on the Lord. And we assume that it's an intellectual issue when it is not. It's actually a heart issue. See, while... Well, God's clearly decided that the normal way that he'll bring the gospel, uh, bring people into a relationship with him is through us, through people preaching the gospel. At the same time, it's also true that the Holy Spirit must do a work in their heart for that preaching to result in them calling on the Lord. And so, friends, we must be on our knees in prayer for those who don't know him. We must be on our knees in prayer for people in this community, in this city, who do not know him. That when they hear the gospel, they'll respond. Another encouragement, you never know who God might save. Right? 
I mean, you can see that in this passage. You never know who God might save. How shocking it was, even to the Christian Jews, that Gentiles were coming into the kingdom in droves. They would have never guessed. Really hard to overstate just how drastically different Christianity was than the way that these Gentiles had been thinking and behaving prior to hearing the gospel. Yet those who did not seek God were found by him, right? That's what it says. I found, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. How often do we talk ourselves out of sharing the gospel because we think, oh, I could share it with them, but they won't believe. There's no point. Don't say no for someone else. You don't know what God might be doing. And here's my last encouragement to you. It's this. Persevere. Persevere. All day long, I have held out my hands. Think about the centuries that God continued to display the gospel to the Israelites. How quickly, quickly do we give up? We share a piece of the gospel. We mention Jesus. Someone kind of shuts it down. They don't seem interested, and we just, we're done. How long? How long did God hold out his hands to you, Christian? Think for a second. How long did God hold out his hands to you? You. How long were you disobedient and contrary? And yet God continued to bring people into your life. God continued to love you, to give you opportunity. How long? Don't mistake his kindness and mercy some sort of need for us, as some kind of desperation on his part. He's long-suffering with us because his mercy is an unquenchable well of salvation. I don't know who God has sent you to, who he will send you to in the future, who he wants to send you to right now, but be faithful in wherever you go, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your world, wherever that is. I, I don't mean to pretend that this is an easy task. It's not an easy task. But it's a worthy task. You know, today marks a milestone for a proclaimed church. Moving into this building right in the heart of Bonner Springs, it's no small thing, right? How God has brought us to this point over the last three years or so, it's no small thing what God's done. It's worthy of celebration. It's worthy of us looking back at the things that God has done and saying, thank you, Jesus. But what do we do now? You see, I believe, I believe it was in the 1920s that the first church building was built right here on this property. Just a few years after the 1918 building was built right across the street. So that a church could gather together and worship right here in the heart of the city. 
the 1950s, they added this brick building on the back. And again, I wonder what it took for those Christians decades ago, two generations ago, to make that happen. So that the gospel could be preached right here. The word of God preached right in the heart of the city. In the 1970s, a couple of things happened. First, a new church was started right here in Bonner Springs. They began to meet here, and guess what? The building that used to sit right here burned to the ground. Imagine being a new church plant, and suddenly your space is taken away from you by a disaster out of your control. I don't know what that's like. (laughs) And yet, that church stepped up. They built this building where the old church stood and the word of God continued to be preached right in the heart of the city. For almost 50 years, that same church met here. And now the opportunity has come to us, guys. You know, anything could happen with this property. It could be made into a retail space. Hey, you know, you need retail spaces in a city. There's nothing wrong with that. It could be made into an office area. They could level the building and make it into a park. I mean, parks are nice. Any number of things could happen right here in the heart of Bonner Springs. And we have an opportunity to ensure that what happens here is people making Jesus What we have is an opportunity to ensure that the body of Christ can gather here in worship Jesus and then be sent out from here into the world. What if a church saw value in preaching the heart of God with the heart for the community right in the heart of the city? Could we be who God wants to ensure that for the next 100 years, the word of God is preached right here? That for the next 100 years, God's people are singing his praises right here, are reading his word right here, are remembering him in communion right here. That God's people are being raised up and sent out to plant the gospel throughout the world from little old Bonner Springs. That'll take work. I get it. Just as it did for those who went before us. But I want to jumpstart that. And so I've got an application for us here, a a challenge, I guess, an opportunity to do something that we've never done before. And so we're going to give it a, a try. What I like to do is this. The week before Thanksgiving, that's only just a, barely more than a month away. The week before Thanksgiving, from the Friday before to Thanksgiving Day, every dollar that is given to Proclaim will go to help us with our facility needs, to help us to ensure the word of God is proclaimed to help us 
to work towards having a place where gospel planners are raised up and sent out to spread the gospel. As we move towards Thanksgiving, one of the what I'm reminded of is the wonderful thing about the gospel is this. We don't we don't obey what Jesus commands us because we need to do so in order to be saved. We do it because God has already done something for us. And out of gratitude to him, we respond. So that's the ask. That in that week, that, that for the next few weeks, that you would pray. That you would ask God, what do you want? How do you want me? How do you want my family to respond in gratitude for what, how you have blessed us? That, that we could make this place feel like home for your family, for our spiritual family, for every new family we invite. But I didn't want to just stop there because there are others who need homes. There's others who uh, have understand what it means to not just be transient on a Sunday morning, but to be transient all the time. And so one of the things that we'd like to do, one of the, one of the uh, what we want to do, what we are going to do, I should say, is that whatever amount is given that week, that 20% of that we will take, uh, we'll, we'll write a check for 20% of that amount uh, and give it to Joy Meadows. If you don't know what Joy Meadows is, it is a, uh, a foster care community, uh, just not very far from where we are. And they are currently breaking ground on three new houses at their site where families can live and particularly sibling sets of foster kids who would be split up normally can live there together as a family with foster parents. And they provide resources to foster families all over, I mean, all over the state, particularly here in Kansas City, to help kids, to help foster parents stay foster parents so that kids can stay in the same home as long as possible. Unfortunately, most kids that are, go into the foster care system uh, change homes uh, multiple times. Can you imagine being pulled out of your house, having no idea what was going on, being placed in another home, and then having that happen again and again and again? And so Joy Meadows wants to help that process by helping foster parents to stay foster parents longer, helping siblings to stay together. And so we want to support them in that. And I'll, we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks. But, but I, what I'm asking right now is for you to just begin to pray about how God may want to help, uh, may want your family to help in these endeavors. And the environment of a home matters, right? The atmosphere we create when we gather, it matters. It can make a guest feel welcome. It can enable a family to connect. It can draw attention to the one who gives us all good gifts. But as important, and what I want you to remember, is as important as all of that is, uh, the beauty of this building, the true beauty of Proclaim Church, it's not in paint or carpet or any of that. It's found in the feet of those 
be sent to your feet. And those to whom you make Jesus known, those who come to worship their Savior together. It's a worthy task to see the lost saved, to see the saved sent. Let's pray.